Now, you know me, Justin, I'm relatively well-traveled, having spent a fair amount of time abroad recently, so that's meant accessing the content I want to watch has been difficult. But don't fear, Justin, because there's a solution. What's the solution? It's a handy tool called NordVPN. What's NordVPN, Ryan? Justin, NordVPN is a cyber Swiss army knife with plenty of features and benefits. Firstly, being able to access streaming services from different countries by changing your virtual location at the push of a button, giving you access to so much more content. It means missing sporting events, not being able to watch your favorite shows or films. It's a thing of the past. Better yet, it doesn't just stop at football. So you're telling me it just gives me access to different content? Absolutely not. There's so much more. You can save money, for example, by scouring different flights from different virtual locations, giving you the best deals possible. Better yet, you can do this by purchasing different subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. This is all knowing you're accessing a service that was named in Times Magazine's Best Inventions for 2022. So what are you waiting for? Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's the equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Mike Wazowski to my Sully. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Um, I've had better days, I won't lie to you. I had a bit of a rough oh, no. morning. Why? Yeah, I, I think everyone can sympathise with this, but I bought cobs especially for lunch. I was buzzing about these cobs. Um, and everyone's had this yeah, everyone has this where they buy something for lunch and they're so excited and they can't wait for it. Um, and I squashed them at the bottom of a shopping bag and genuinely has spoiled my day. So I don't know how this episode is going to go. I'm in a mm. bit of a mood. I'm a bit frustrated. I'm going to have a couple of rants just to get it off my chest because I feel like that's that's going to be needed after the year, squashing my, my cobs or rolls to, to some people with different dialects. You love, you live such a rock and roll lifestyle, don't you? To, to be fair, I find cobs tend to be nicer when they're squashed together as long as they've got the filling in i assume they have the filling in at this point well i know they they were in the bottom of the shopping bag there was no filling in them they were squashed pre-filling so cutting them was just a nightmare cutting them in half was just a nightmare and then what so you brought them while they were squashed no i squashed them in the shopping bag i bought them put them in the bag and then they were squashed underneath uh some cans of pop Really disappointing. Right, okay, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think I get what you mean in there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you're through listening to Justin's rant about his poor packing of shopping bags, yeah. then welcome to the Inubon Championship Podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Boy, oh boy, what a weekend of championship football, Justin. I mean, being completely honest, it was really tough making the running order for this show. Virtually <laughs> every game had something on it. You won't find a single game which didn't have anything of it. And the, the game that had the least on it, really, was Watford v Bristol City. And Watford are only four points off the top six. It's remarkable. Only four points separate sixth and twelfth. The playoff race is going right down to the wire. And as well as that, I mean, the relegation battle, my lord, you've got one point separating 22nd and 19th. It is going down to the wire in all departments, ladies and gentlemen. So let's have a chat about it. Um, in perhaps the shock result of the weekend, Reading managed to hold Burnley to a goalless draw. What a huge result, Justin, for Noel Hunt in his first game as caretaker manager following the sacking of Paul Ince. I don't think you can underestimate the gravity or gravitar of this result for Reading and the performance and the resilience they showed. We've not seen that very often over the past sort of few months from from Reading. So for them to do it against the best team in the league was absolutely remarkable. It was a brilliant performance. Yes, Burnley created a lot of chances, and I think on another day maybe they could have run out two or three nil winners. But they had that Reading had that extra edge, that extra drive and push that they've lacked under Paul. It's to really, really defend their goal, and it was a yeah a, a good performance. A 
you know, performance that could have certainly been better, but it's a nice building block for, for Noel Hunt. And it's the first clean sheet in 21 games. I don't think you can underestimate how important that clean sheet will be between now and the end of the season. Well, this is essentially a win for Reading, isn't yeah. it? No one expected them to get a result here, but they deserved it. They did have virtually 10 men behind the ball for most of the game and didn't offer much at all going forward. They didn't have a shot on target, but they defended brilliantly. Burnley had two good chances in this game. Any side who limits this Burnley team to just two good chances has defended extremely well because so often they've just found a way through. No matter how many men the opposition have behind the ball, because they face that a few times this season, but they've seemed mm. to have always found a way to cut through at some point. So Noel Hunt and the players deserve a large amount of credit for this. They may not have seen it like this, but it was a bit of a free hit, really, for them. And they've ended up making ground on the likes of Cardiff and QPR when I don't think many people would have expected that heading into this weekend. So I think the most important thing as well, the atmosphere was amazing here yeah. it's not been great in recent times which is understandable but the point and the boost in positivity for supporters that could go a long long way in keeping Reading in the championship next season so as it stands Justin a point separates Reading in 22nd and Huddersfield in 19th in terms of getting to Survival Island how do you assess their chances it's, it's difficult isn't it because obviously there's no hunt and we don't know really what he's we don't know what he's going to bring to the team yet. He obviously clearly inspired the players for this game because they were brilliant. They were defensively on it, and, and as we mentioned, Burnley did have a lot of chances, but they were more or less half chances because of how how many bodies Reading got behind the ball, how how often they were they were there to meet whatever Burnley offered. So if they can repeat that level of commitment and drive in the next few games and have that new manager bounce as is always important um, you, you can assess them pretty positively you can assess those chances pretty positively but Reading, Cardiff, QPR, Huddersfield they're reminding me of a very scripted WWE match where there's just punch after punch after punch two wrestlers just standing upright just punching each other in the face no one's really landing anything effective yet and we need to see some. We need to see some swing in, in that sense. But the clean sheet, as I say, is important. And if Reading repeat this commitment and drive as they have done, or hopefully as as, as they will do, they, then I would assess them pretty positively. But a lot of it, a lot of ifs at the moment. Going back to your WWE simile, we need some mm. finishing moves, don't we? We need some choke yeah. slams. Someone needs to pull out a tombstone power driver out exactly. of nowhere. We need a pedigree, a stone cold stunner, someone just, you know, an RKO, anything, anything. Just stop punching. We need to see some action. Come mm. on. I'm a big fan of the number of WWE references we've had in the podcast recently. Uh, Burnley will be disappointed they didn't get three points here. They weren't at their best. Reading defended resiliently, but just one shot on target is poor from a Burnley perspective. What it does mean is it's now impossible for Burnley to break the points record. They can match it if they win every game, but they won't be able to better it at this point. So they've still got something to aim for, but it's not long now until they can actually have the championship winner's title um, in the back pocket, because it, that's another thing that's been looking like it's only a matter of time, but it's nearly there for them now. Let's go to the lunchtime game on Saturday. Justin Sheffield United thumped Cardiff 4-1. A scoreline that looks quite bad from a Cardiff perspective, but I've got to say, I think it's one that flatters Paul Heckenbottom's side up until Sheffield United's third goal I thought Cardiff were actually the better side maybe in the balance of play but the way Cardiff defended you defend like that against a good team they're going to punish you and Sheffield United did that it's one of those situations and we'll, I'll repeat this this term or, or saying in, the, in, in a couple of games time or whenever we get to it but Sheffield United didn't have to do a lot to win this game. They defended relatively well and they held Cardiff. They held their own against Cardiff, as you'd expect, but they were clinical and they took advantage of some really poor decision making, some really poor defending and goalkeeping. And that's all they had to do. And as I mentioned, good teams are going to do that. And that's what really let Cardiff down. They, they had opportunities to build. They had a relatively good start, but that equaliser from Sheffield United was was dreadful from Cardiff. This allowed McAtee just to go, go through. So Whilst Cardiff maybe had the, the better chance and the balance of play, they were just they were just poor at key moments and that's what let them down. Yeah, Mark McGuinness 
I don't know what he was doing there. He just seemed to forget that he had mm. to stop James McAtee getting closer to the goal. And then the third goal is just a sloppy back pass. Yeah. So it was really poor defending at times from Cardiff. They massively let themselves down. Callum O'Dowder was playing centre-half in this game. I think if I had to rank every player in the Championship on how suited they would be to playing centre-half, Callum O'Dowder wouldn't be far off the bottom of that list. Really? You're making a funny face at me, Justin. No, I'm just thinking, like, size-wise, he's six foot. He's quite tall for a wide player. And he has played left-back before and left-wing back. So he's got but he's lanky, some... Justin. Yeah, he's lanky, but so is Cal Naismith. And Cal Naismith made a very good career out of him. He was the best defender last season, wasn't he? So I'm not saying he's going to get to that point anytime soon, but as far as uh, as far as individuals go, maybe Odalda does sort of fit the bill, but maybe that's no, sort I'm of... not sure. I mean, they've got enough centre-halves, I think, haven't they? They've got loads. Ah. I'm not sure that he does fit the bill, but whether that is something they persist with over the coming weeks, we'll have to wait and see. It is a big win for Sheffield United, and we'll talk more shortly um, about them. But Cardiff just cannot seem to shift themselves from the relegation battle, can they? They are properly lingering around the bottom three. We both agree they're playing their best football of the season under Lamouche. I think that goes without saying. And they're playing better than the likes of Reading and QPR have over the past few weeks. But they're not moving any higher up the table. And that is an issue. In fact, since Lamouche took over, they've always been 21st. They've had one week where they were 20th. But otherwise, they've consistently been 21st since the 27th of January when he was appointed. And this goes back to what I was saying before, Justin. I think they're being overlooked a bit in this relegation battle. Reading and QPR are both in deep trouble, but so are Cardiff. Because if you're not picking up any form of consistency like Cardiff haven't, and to be fair, basically all the teams down there apart from Huddersfield and to a lesser extent Rotherham have done in recent weeks, then you are going to be in consistent danger of going down. And that is a big, big problem. I think the, the the main thing that's added to that perception is perhaps Cardiff have won games where of QPR and Reading that have been relatively hopeless over recent weeks. More so QPR, obviously, with the defeat this weekend. So that's maybe why they're being overlooked. They do have that game in hand uh, against Rotherham as well, which does help them in some aspect. Because you'd, ex- I don't know when that game's been been rescheduled for, but perhaps by the time that comes around, Rotherham will be safe and relaxing, getting their thoughts on where they're going on holiday, uh, joining somewhere as Cardiff will probably need to pick up the points. So, yeah, it's a strange thing, isn't it? I mean, I didn't I didn't realise that they hadn't really moved much since Lamushi came in because the football has been so much better. Maybe that's been the key distraction there is how, how much better the football has been under him than it, have, than it was under Hudson. But, yeah, it's, it's a, a perilous time for Cardiff because they're a club that financially can't go down. They will... You know, suffer quite significantly with it. They'll have another reshuffle player-wise in the summer, whether than Championship or League One. But yeah, it's yeah, strange, strange little fact. That. That's, a good, that's a good stat. Good pull, that Ryan. Good con- Jim, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Sheffield United inch closer and closer to promotion. They've actually rather quietly gone about their business, haven't they? Over the last five game weeks, only Swansea of all teams have picked up more points than Sheffield United. They're five points clear of Luton in third. Got a game in hand on Luton as well. They're going to have to wait to get it in the bag, but they have got one foot in the Premier League, haven't they? They've been getting on with their job professionally. That's what it's been. It's not It's not been an inspiring run of form. And I think all the noise Burnley have had with their performances and swashbuckling football and Vincent Company has probably diverted attention away from them. And obviously the narrative of Michael Carrick's run with Middlesbrough, again, has probably diverted the attention away from Sheffield United. So they've just been quietly going uh, along with their business and, I think everyone has that expectation of Sheffield United going up anyway. And that's probably helped them. As I say, eyes have been diverted elsewhere uh, and they've just been getting on with things. And uh, I, I allude to professional performances, but that's what it's been. That's what you need at this stage in the season, just getting results on the board, keeping clean sheets. They did that against Cardiff, apart from the clean sheet. They they, they pounced on mistakes. They were at the clinical best. It's just what they've been doing. It's, they don't have to be putting in inspiring swashbuckling performances. They just need to, be getting, need to be getting results and they're doing that. And they're doing a very good job of it. And they're making the most of those opportunities when they come, aren't they? And exactly. when you're a quality, town like, a quality team like Sheffield United, you make that happen. So as soon as you have a lapse in concentration like Cardiff's you know, awful back pass for the third goal, yeah. Ilman Dai has the composure about him to just dink it around, Ryan all in goal and put it in the back of the net. Uh, let's go to QPR nil, Coventry three. 
This game was 1-0 until the 86th minute when Coventry put the game to bed with two in quick succession. Uh, I mean, I say put the game to bed. The game was essentially in bed anyway. It just needed to turn the light off at that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. Coventry <laughs> went ahead after 10 minutes and you'd have thought QPR would have spent the rest of the game putting them under immense pressure. But the closest they came was from a 30-yard free kick by Elias Chair and then a half chance for Sam Field on the edge of the box. It was actually quite comfortable for Coventry. Worryingly comfortable if you're of a QPR persuasion. This is one of the rants I'm going to have that's going to cure my uh, frustration from the Cobb the Cob, uh, scenario earlier Cobb in the day. Gate. Cobb Gate, yeah. Um, I've, I'm, I wanted to give Ainsworth so much benefit of doubt. I'm just really worried that he's just maybe not the man at the right time. He's probably the right man at the wrong time for QPR. He's developed this uncanny habit of seemingly being overly positive in post-match press conferences. There's nothing to be positive about at the moment for QPR, and I think the fans are seeing through it now. Given his experience with Wickham, he's always framed tough situations positively. That can be viewed as a strength, but right now, this scenario they're in, the situation they're in, I feel like players need to stop being called out. I don't think the players have been called out all season. I think the changes in manager haven't helped. I mean, Beal's run of form was good anyway, so he's not. there's nothing to be negative about at that point. But Critchley probably didn't get enough time to really have the opportunity to call these players out. Ainsworth's got to be doing it. There's nothing to be positive about. They're too open. I look at that uh, second goal, I think. Giocres uh, or um, Hamer. Hamer's had a time to, to touch it and square it. It's, there's just so many moments where there's poor defending. They're too open. There's not enough aggression. It's the first goal, actually, I wanted to bring up. There's three players around that ball. Three players and they lose it. And Giocres goes and breaks forward and scores. It is horrendous. It's some of the worst defending imaginable in the championship. And you can't be doing it when you're... <sighs> free free falling down into League One that's where they're at at the moment and Ainsworth is just being far too positive I don't know what he's doing behind the scenes but coming up and facing up and not calling out these players it's just not getting the fans on board and that's probably not helping the situation either um, yeah so many problems at QPR it's it's tough to really summarise them in a, in a one minute rant it's impossible well if QPR do go down this season Gareth Ainsworth won't be the person who gets all the fingers pointed at him but he is making some strange decisions. 65 minutes into the game, you're 1-0 down. So you take off your best attacking player in Elias' chair. He's the only one who looked like doing anything for QPR in this whole game. And I've got to say, it's one of the most bamboozling decisions I've seen from a manager this season. And everyone seemed amazed by it, including the QPR fans. And Elias' chair himself, you just looked bemused at the idea that he was being taken off. But defensively, they were so naive. Coventry's second goal, which ultimately came from a counter-attack, saw Coventry attacking in a 4v2 situation. I mean, the, the defending has been appalling since Ainsworth came in, to be fair to him. However... He is definitely at fault for the lack of threat QPR posed. They managed six shots here, despite being down, a goal down for essentially yeah, the whole yeah. game. And the game plan continues to be hoof the ball up to Lyndon Dykes, which rarely worked in the previous games. But hey, let's keep doing it anyway. I mean, he's a perfectly nice bloke is Ainsworth, but this is turning out to be a catastrophic appointment. They've lost seven games from nine under him. Even under Neil Critchley, they weren't doing that bad. And it's why QPR are right in the firing line for the teams in the bottom three. If I'm Reading, for example, who have been in poor form now for numerous months, I'm looking at QPR and thinking, we don't have to do much to overtake them because QPR are just getting nothing. And they, I mean, they got a point against West Brom last week. I'm starting to think whether that was just West Brom having a really, really bad day because mm. QPR don't look like they're getting any better at all. The final four games are Norwich at home, Burnley away, Stoke away and Bristol City at home. Extremely concerning times for Queen's Park Rangers and their future. Coventry didn't really have to get out of second gear here, did they? It was just like they turned to each other on the 85th minute and said, Right, lads, shall we just kill off this game now? The result is massive, though, isn't it? Blackburn dropped points and teams behind them won. So they had to get a win here and it leaves them seventh, just a point off top six. They're in a great, great position to get that final top six place, aren't they? I, I was saying last week, I think they're the team who are most likely 
to get that final playoff place, assuming the top five will stay as it is. I'm only feeling even stronger on that now. They had been struggling for wins, so a confidence-boosting routine win will be a big help in that regard, won't it? Victor Jokere has got two here. He hadn't scored in a month prior to this, so him getting on the score sheet is great, just to give him that taste again. Their final four games are Blackburn away in midweek, huge in the playoff race, then Reading at home, Birmingham at home, who have nothing to play for, and then Middlesbrough away on the final day. So inviting games there from a Coventry perspective. So hopefully this result signals a return to winning ways. Uh, Justin, following Thursday's episode where we were having a big debate about whether Mark Robbins should have been on the three-man shortlist for manager of the season, we were having a bit of a back and forth over WhatsApp, weren't we, about yeah. <laughs> that particular conversation, which still hasn't been resolved, but we'll leave yep. that there. One thing that you did say to me, which particularly stood out, was that you'd put Mark Robbins ahead of Michael Carrick for manager of the season, which I was amazed about, but... Now's your chance. Why don't you tell the class about that? I, I, right. My, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've summarised Mark Robbins enough. I think the budget he's got, he's got a bottom five budget. They sold the best defender in the summer, Dominic Hyam, to Blackburn. They had the pitch issues at the start of the season. They were bottom of the table with one point after six games. Um, there's the stadium issues that they've had. There's the change of ownership. They were under transfer embargo. But Mark Robbins has still managed to get the team into a position where they're fighting for a top six place, which is absolutely incredible. So even if they don't finish in the top six, I still would put Mark Robbins way ahead of Michael Carrick. Michael Carrick has delivered exactly what has been expected of this Middlesbrough team. This Middlesbrough team was built for an automatic promotion push. They've had an automatic promotion push. They just needed a manager to make the right adjustments, right tweaks to get them there. And Michael Carrick's done an absolutely brilliant job in doing that, transforming their form, transforming the form of individuals like Akpom and uh, Riley McGree, for example, and Johnny House and etc. But you can't compare the job that Carrick's done with the budget he's got and the, the capability of the players he's got and the depth of squad that he's got as well. That You can't compare that to what Robbins has done with Coventry. A threadbare squad that's suffered injuries. McFadden's been out, O'Hare, Palmer, blah, blah, blah. Lots of injuries at Coventry. Mark Robbins has still got them within a top six place. Incredible job from Robbins. I think both managers have done a fantastic job this season. <laughs> both massively impressive jobs this season. But Justin, Michael Carrick has taken Middlesbrough from relegation battle to they weren't in nearly the battle. top two. Well, they, they were, they were around there, weren't they? They were in the bottom three when he took over. Um, and it was going to be a matter of time. Similar with West Brom and Corbrand, it was only going to be a matter of time before they turned around because they've got good players. They were still putting in good performances but they weren't on the other end of that final bit of quality they needed in that final third to turn those those poor results into good ones. Um, and as I was pointing out, they've delivered exactly what you expect from the teams that they've got available to them. Robins, with all due respect to Coventry, they should be in the bottom seven or eight because that's the, that's the you know the money they're spending. But they somehow with his tactical genius, his ability to get more out of the players. He's got them in the top six. If he gets in the top six, I'd put him ahead of company as manager of the season. I'll, I'll say that quite confidently as well. Wow. I mean, I'll keep emphasising, Mark Robbins has done a fantastic job this season. I still just think there were at least four managers ahead of him in terms of manager of the season, but you're Incredible. more than entitled to your opinion, Justin Peach. Let's move on. There was a massive game in the battle to stay up at Bloomfield Road. Blackpool won Wigan nil. A gigantic result for Blackpool, but it's one that virtually sees Wigan relegated back to League One, Justin. Yeah, it's a poor performance, wasn't it? And one you wouldn't have expected it with the, the, the gravity of the game um, at stake, really. The, 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 what we have, the outcome of it, Blackpool were clinical. They were good going forwards. Wigan didn't really offer too much. It was, a, as I say, poor performance. They have improved defensively under Maloney and it's given them a chance. But the lack of goals, the lack of cutting edge, the lack of instinct that other teams have... Is, is quite shocking, really, and that's really what's let them down. They let them down in this game. Um, you, know, you look at Blackpool, they've got some really good individuals, and we said it in January, they recruited incredibly well, but it was just piecing them together and getting more out of them that they that they haven't been able to do. They have players at Wigan Dote, essentially. They've got the likes of Keshi Anderson, who's a who's a match winner when he's fit, available and firing. Jerry Yates is a, I would say, a relatively good goal scorer. He... He can be. We know he can be. He's shown that this season in spells. So Blackpool have got players that we can don't. And that's ultimately the big difference between the two teams. And that was the big difference between the two teams yesterday in that 1-0 win as well. 
Sean Maloney said after the game, today epitomised everything that's wrong with the club. If you look at the data and use your eyes, we are the worst attacking team in the division. I knew this in January. I tried to make us tighter at the other end, but we can't get away from that. I can only apologise to the fans and I promise them I will be ruthless to get this club back to where it should be. There was loads of reasons why we're going to go in down this season, Justin. Not signing enough or good enough players is certainly a big reason and possibly even the main one in two transfer windows. Secondly, in Richardson and bringing in Colo Torre is one too. Being terrible at the back up until Maloney came in is another. Not scoring anywhere in near enough goals under Maloney can be put down as another because seven goals in 14 games <laughs> under him is really bad, isn't it? Individuals have underperformed as well. Callum Lang and Daniel Sonani are two players in particular who came to mind in that respect. I'd have expected both of them to do a lot better than they have done for Wigan this season. Overall, though, Maloney says he'll be ruthless in getting this club back to where it should be. And I believe him. They've been much more competitive under him. And I reckon they can bounce back. I'm going back to when Kodo Torre was in charge. They looked awful, Wigan did. And in... In the short time that Maloney has been there, they look so much better. Not winning many games, but so much better as a side. And they'll have to bring players in if they want to get back into the championship um, via promotion next season. Because the squad simply isn't good enough in its current state, in my view. But at least they've got the right man at the helm. And that is always the best place to start. Spot on. Spot on. As I say, I've been impressed with Maloney because of what he needed to transform. The, the the team were hopeless in the dying embers of of Tolo, uh, of Kolo Torre's reign. They were hopeless. They were making so so many bad errors that professional footballers should really be making at this level. But they were. They were doing it. Um, he's had a big job in fixing that attack. It's probably one of the worst attacks in my recent memory going forwards. As I say, the amount of goals they scored is, is there. Plain seeing as Maloney pointed out, the amount of goal shots or chances they created throughout the season is, is there to see. They've got some good individuals, but. It just hasn't clicked, um, and the, the 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 points that you made were really valid and really good points. But also, it's worth pointing out the the club's been poorly run this season as well, which is going to impact the playing side of things. That motivation to really want to play for the club. Maloney's making the right noises, which is a major positive. It's, he just needs backing. That's the key thing. He just needs the club to uh, invest in him as, as much as they're invest, uh, you know, as much as investing in the squad. If that makes sense. So Wigan could be officially relegated in midweek away at Stoke, although if it doesn't happen, then it will almost certainly happen the week, well, at the weekend. A big result for Blackpool. They'd lost seven out of nine prior to this. So this win keeps their hopes alive of staying up. I've got quite a tricky run. West Brom, Birmingham, Millwall and Norwich. Four points from safety. This result may have just delayed their relegation, but they've got a fighting chance. And they'll fancy their hopes still, won't they? There are positive signs, certainly. I just want to credit the balls on Stephen Dobby, by the way, for starting Keshe and Ian Pervader, Morgan Rogers, and Josh Boulder in that in that team. It was absolutely incredible and absolutely astonishing that Wigan weren't able to find gaps in that uh, yeah in, in in that team. All very talented wide players, and it just highlights the quality that Blackpool do possess. And if Dobby can get it clicking and get them playing in a way that gets the best out of them, then they've got a fighting chance, but it might be left a little bit too late for them. We, uh, I've already alluded to it in the last two or three minutes. Blackpool made some really good additions in January. I had one of the better January uh, windows, but the worst signing they made was Mick McCarthy. Um, and now it's too early to say whether Stephen Dobby's going to be you know, have a good impact on him because he only had two games in charge, but they were a lot better here in this game. They managed The game management side of things was really impressive defensively they looked a lot more assured that being said Wigan are very poor going forwards but is it enough to keep them up potentially QPR Reading Cardiff all giving the sides below them chances Blackpool have got the opportunity to capitalise upon their lack of decisiveness in wanting to get out of a relegation battle so whilst they've got a fighting chance they've got the quality of play to do it it's just whether or not it clicks that's the key thing they're going to have to win at least two of those remaining games aren't they two of those four remaining games and it's difficult to see which ones they would win. But then, even if they did that, they're still asking for the teams above them to do them a favour. So, it's a long shot, but it's a shot, nonetheless, isn't it? Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a huge win for Millwall and also a big win in terms of the scoreline for Middlesbrough.
Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. In a huge game in the race for the top six, Millwall beat Preston 2-0. It was 5th v 8th prior to this weekend with Preston, the form team in the division. So a big result for Gary Rowett's boys. Not a game full of chances. It was a tight one and fairly even too. The fine margins were ultimately the ball flicking off Tom Bradshaw's head and a loose ball falling to Zion Fleming, who couldn't miss when he was you know, one-on-one with the keeper from... 12 yards out or so. Ultimately, it was a huge, it has a huge effect on both teams' playoff hopes. Preston have taken a huge haymaker. We'll talk more about that in a sec. Millwall still have work to do, but they've got a three point cushion and their remaining games are very generous. So I'd say they're nearly there, Justin. That's not uh, that's not counting our chickens yet. It'd be very, well, I wouldn't say it'd be very Millwall for them to drop out because that's not really fair. But it'll be very championship for them to to drop out because they have been one of the most convincing teams and probably one of the only teams as well who have been convincing in that run for the top six. That being said, this is this was a massive win, wasn't it? I think the last four games going without a goal is at this stage of the season gonna sort of drain your confidence a little bit. Um so for them to get the goals they did, well, I wouldn't say really, relatively lucky because the delivery for Brad the Bradshaw goal was brilliant and they created some really good chances from set pieces um did Millwall so it was a decent performance and a game that was well managed by them so I think it was just a, a very good all-round professional performance from Millwall one that we do expect with them and it's come at a good time as you say putting a points gap pre-point gap between them and Preston and being one of the most convincing teams in that top six it's a yeah really important really important time to win I think is is, is the main point here you say let's not counter eggs just yet, Justin. They've got Birmingham at home in midweek, then Wigan away, Blackpool away, and then they've got Blackburn at home on the final day. So Millwall would have to seriously shoot themselves in the foot not to have, multiple times for that matter, not to have a playoff place in their back pocket at this point. But Millwall will fancy their chances in the playoffs as well. I said not long ago, I struggled to see Luton or Middlesbrough not winning it but it would be foolish to completely rule Millwall out. Of course, it is the playoffs. It's a lottery, um, according to the big bag of cliches. They've picked up results against all the teams above them this season, though. I tend to think the sides who are defensively solid fare better in the playoffs. Only three teams have conceded fewer goals in the Championship than Middlesbrough this season. And they'll keep it solid at the back. All it takes is a set piece, which we know Millwall are excellent at. And... They'll happily play it ugly. They won't care if it comes off Tom Bradshaw's arse or Zion Fleming's immaculate jaw. It would be interesting to see who they faced in the playoffs. I think they'd be a lot better off playing Middlesbrough than Luton, personally. Mm -hmm. But we can worry about that further down the line when they've actually got the place in the bag, if they've got the place in the bag. But right now, you've got to say... They're looking pretty good for it. I said it a few minutes ago that this result is a haymaker for Preston's playoff hopes. It is just a loss, but they've got a very tough run in themselves. They've got Swansea in midweek, who are miraculously the form team in the division currently. Blackburn next weekend, Sheffield United, and then Sunderland on the final day. Despite their form, it always seems like quite big odds that they'd actually get in the top six. And indeed, Ryan Lowe has been playing down their chances once again. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, I would play them down as well. The uh, results against teams that are in the top six isn't particularly inspiring. They've won eight points from 24 uh, against those teams currently in the top six, I should say. They, they're they a good side pressing and they can be a very good side on a day, but they've put teams away that you'd expect them to put away. So it's games like this Millwall game where they need to be really on it. They need to manage the game a lot better than they did. They did respond well after going a goal down, but they lacked that you know instinctive finishing touch that they've lacked for most of the season. And um, and it just came up in this in this team. And Millwall managed them quite well in the second half. So yeah, it's those results against the, the top six teams. That's the main th- uh, the main sort of hindrance for them finishing that top six. That being said, a top half finish for this Preston side under Ryan Lowe, first full season, would be, I wouldn't say an incredible achievement, but a very good one. Because he's certainly overachieving with this side. But they're good at keeping clean sheets. They've got a clinical striker. You can't rule them out just yet, just because tight games they're going to have tight games between now and the end of the season and they've shown that they can be on the the good end of those tight games it's just whether or not they've got enough to play against those teams that are better than them at the minute they don't 
yeah, they do sit eighth, just one point outside the top six, have got a much poorer goal difference than all the teams around them. So that's something that will play a part if they are still in the conversation in two or three weeks' time. On Friday night, Middlesbrough got back to winning ways in some fashion with a 5-1 blasting of Norwich. A great game. Brilliant entertainment in the lead-up to the weekend. We saw four goals in the space of nine minutes just before half-time. Having said that, I thought the four lines, the four-one score line at half-time, probably flattered Borough a bit. They actually scored five goals from their first five shots in this one. Whatever the case, it is a big win in terms of their score line and their promotion hopes because they have been a bit sloppy recently, and you don't want to be heading into the playoffs in poor form, do you? Well, you have a scoreline like this against a good team in Norwich. They're up in and around that top six or battling for the top six. So to put them to, to the sword the way they did, to be as clinical as clinical as they were in that really short spell, is is yeah, a very significant achievement. And I think this team under Michael Carrick, I know I said that wouldn't put him above Mark uh, Mark Robbins in, in my mind, manager of the season, but what he's got out of this attack is absolutely remarkable. They've scored an unbelievable amount of goals. And I can't remember a Middlesbrough team being this exciting going forward. You go back to that Karanka season when they won promotion. They scored something like 35 goals. So they're promoted with a ridiculously low goal count. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it wasn't um, wasn't inspiring. But they're very good at keeping clean sheets. But this is an exciting team and they showed it in abundance. They're a team that can be naive at times, but they've got that attacking emphasis that... No one else has in that top six other than Burnley. You know, I don't think Sheffield United are as effective going forwards as, as Middlesbrough are. Is it enough to get them over the line in, in the playoffs? Maybe, maybe not. They, <laughs> I, I go back to that Derby 13-14 season where they were as exciting going forwards. They were incredible. That ultimately became their undoing in, in the playoff final. Just worried that might be the case for, for Bury here. But nonetheless, they've got some really talented players and they're in top form. Well, they were in top form against Norwich and they showed that attacking talent that they've got and it was yeah it's brilliant to watch it's just gives me question marks I think Norwich continue to be one of the teams who I look at in the table and think how are they still so high it's ridiculous that there's so few points separating sixth and twelfth but we should see teams start to be eliminated from the equation over the remaining game weeks and Norwich will almost certainly be one of those sides I cannot see this team finishing in the top six I don't think it'll happen in midweek. They've got QPR. Having said that, if you lose to QPR in their current state, then you should automatically face expulsion from the league, in my opinion. <laughs> Whatever the case, it is just one win in seven. Their points per game under David Wagner isn't much better than it was under Dean Smith. The goals have dried up. Key players are out of form. I've never been convinced by the David Wagner appointment. And ultimately, it's not worked out. He was brought in to get them into the playoffs. And they look as if they could miss out quite comfortably. Mm -hmm. And I wonder now if Stuart Webber's regretting this appointment and thinking about whether Wagner's the man to lead them into next season. Because this squad is without a doubt good enough to finish in the top six. In fact, it should be finishing in the top six. But they've not been convincing for quite some time now. Yeah, well, you're going back to that Daniel Farker season when they were promotion. That's probably the last time they were, they were convincing, which was nearly two years ago. So I think the book lies with Stuart Webber, unfortunately. The recruitment has been poor, and that's ultimately where the problems lie. I know Norwich fans weren't a particularly big fan of Dean Smith, but I do rate him as a coach. And we saw at the start of the season that they were getting results. The performances were good, but that international break killed them for whatever reason. They just stopped doing what they were good at. Um, and, they, and they petered out massively in... They were picking up results, but not really playing great. Now they're probably doing the same here under David Wagner. And that's probably more symptomatic of the quality of players that they've got available to them. I think a, a guaranteed, well not a guaranteed, a comfortable top six finish with the quality of players that they've got is probably a, a big statement. I'd probably say they're one of those teams that maybe might scratch to get into the playoffs as opposed to them being, or should be having the expectation of finish comfortably in the top six. I'm not sure about that, Justin. You've got Gabriel Sarr in midfield. Josh Sargent Untested. should be playing a lot better than he yeah, is. Yeah, well, I agree with that. should be playing a lot better than he is. They've had a few well. injuries at the back, to be fair. I mean, they had Sorensen and, and Abomadelli at, um, yeah. at, at the back in this game, which isn't the most experienced of back lines, is it? But I mean, Max Ahrens, uh, Sam McCullum, someone I rate as well. Marcelino Nunes was excellent earlier in the season. And everyone just seems off it now, don't they? So... I think it should be doing a lot better than it is. But 
all these players are underperforming. And if that is happening, you've got to point the fingers at the managers, haven't you? Luton made it 10 games unbeaten away at Rotherham. They ran out 2-0 winners. This ended up being quite comfortable for Luton. Got both goals either side of half-time. Rotherham didn't manage a shot on target and actually only managed four attempts in total. It was rather routine, really, for Luton. A great goal by Carlton Morris. That man is bang in form, isn't he? Wes Harding's handball was very clumsy for Luton's penalty. The cross comes in. He's got no one around him and he just lets it hit his arm. It was very, very sloppy. Luton just keep on chugging along and continue to put pressure on Sheffield United for the top two. Don't think that's going to happen, but they're doing the utmost to keep up the pressure and head into the playoffs in great form. And that's all they can really do at the moment, isn't it? Justin, you questioned whether Rob Edwards has drastically improved things at Luton in Thursday's episode. And I just wanted to touch on that. I don't know why you're chuckling so much because it, it was a very strange take at the time and even more so now that I've had a good dive into the stats. People may look at what Rob Edwards has done and think, well, Nathan, Nathan Jones was doing a great job at Luton before. Rob Edwards has just carried that on. It's just not true. If anything, he's taken them up a gear. Nathan Jones was in charge of Luton for 20 games this season. Rob Edwards has now been in charge for 21 so far. When Edwards took over, they were 10th. They're now third and not far off the top two. Under Jones, they conceded 21 goals in 20 games. Under Edwards, it's just 14 from 21 games. Under Jones, they scored 22 goals from 20 games. Under Edwards, they've scored 30 from 21. Under Jones, they won seven games from 20, a win rate of 35%. Under Edwards, they've won 13 from 21, a win rate of 62%. So to question whether Rob Edwards has changed much is totally wrong. He's fine-tuned them into a top side, and that's just the stats thing of it. When you look at Luton as a team as well, the football is much better. The players have got so much more impetus about them. They look like a well-oiled machine under Rob Edwards. And that's why he should have been nominated for manager of the season, in my opinion. <laughs> I was hoping I'd get some reprieve. You said fine-tuning, but you said he drastically changed him. So you can't fine-tune a team and then they drastically change. Yeah, it's fine-tuning. It's, it's, it's small changes. So there's that. I'm not disagreeing that Edward has done a good job. I think he's done a great job. Um, but I wouldn't put it... He inherited a very good situation at Luton. Any manager walking into that situation at Luton will have to do something really, really badly to fuck things up, basically. That's the simple. That's a simple answer. Not discrediting any of the work Rob Edwards has done. He's been brilliant. Everyone knows. It him. Sounds like Morris. you are, Justin. No, I'm not. I'm not. He's, he's done a very good job, but I don't think he's done as good a job as Mark Robbins has, because he's not had to deal with Mark Robbins. What Mark Robbins has had to deal with. Yes, Luton have got a small, a small budget, a low budget within Championship in the grand scheme of things, but they've got a very good squad, and that's been showcased under Nathan Jones. All he had to do was fine tune things to get them going, uh, to be the, to get them more productive going forwards, and he's done that. And they're finishing in the top six, which is where we expected them to finish. So, is he doing a drastically brilliant job? I, I don't think he is. I think he's doing a good job, but again, I don't think we can really judge Rob Edwards until he's had a pre-season because things might go tits up next season, for example, if they don't get promoted. This happens. He inherited a very good situation at Luton, and I will maintain that. Very solid foundations laid by Nathan Jones. You'd have to be a really bad manager to completely naff things up there. I think you're doing him a massive, massive disservice in saying that. So just out of interest then, if you had to rate the job he's done this season out of 10, Rob Edwards this is, what would you give it? I'd give him an 8. I think he's done a good job. I, I will reside by that. But Mark Robbins has done Sounds a like you're kind of contradicting yourself a bit. There, no, I, I, I'm not because I'm not discrediting the work that Rob Edwards has done. I think Mark Robbins has done a better job at Coventry this season than what Rob Edwards has done at Luton. He's achieving, again, similar to Carrick, what you expect him to achieve. He's just fine-tuned things and made them better going forwards. That Luton team would have finished in the top six under Nathan Jones. I do not doubt that. They're going to finish in the top six under Rob Edwards. So is it a drastic change? No. You're saying that a bad manager, only a bad manager would have been able to naff things up there. It sounds like you're contradicting yourself massively when you say that. But yeah. for you've got to remember, at the start of the season, we got absolute pelters for putting Luton third in our league table predictions. How many of those people who were replying to us on Twitter were saying, oh, Luton will finish in the top six this season? That didn't seem like it was something that was expected 
from the normal championship fan. So the fact that he's taken them from 10th to nearly the top two, if it wasn't for Sheffield United just being so rampant, that is an unbelievable achievement, especially with the squad that he's working with. So without a doubt, top three jobs of the season for me, Rob Edwards. Um, for Rotherham, their hopes of staying up aren't really affected by this result. Blackpool, Blackpool were the only team below them who won. So they're still well on course for getting to Survival Island, aren't they? This result doesn't really change much. I think it it, it doesn't. I think there would be some concerns at how uh, well how efficient they were going forward with the lack of quality going forward that they had. Um, they were beaten by the better side. It is a tough game against Luton. That being said, probably expect them to lay a bit more a few more punches on them and they, and they didn't. They just sort of you know, bowed over a little bit and maybe played a bit too deep and direct at times because Sonny Bradley was fantastic in this game. But I think Rotherham are safe, but they have still got to be wary. They have still got to get points on the board. They need to be switched on because those teams behind them, they have shown, apart from QPR, that they can put a run of results together. And I'm not discounting Blackpool yet either. So, yeah, not quite safe yet. Maybe a little bit nervous or maybe a little glance over the shoulder, but certainly on their way. Yeah, I think they're more on their way to Survival Island than basically all the teams below them, which is a very obvious thing to say because they're below them in the table. But in terms of where Rotherham are um, and how much better, well, I mean, they haven't been playing brilliantly recently, but they've not been playing as poorly as QPR, for example, or Reading prior to this weekend. So that's why I think they're getting there. They're definitely on their way. Blackburn and Hull played out a goalless draw in the late game on Saturday night. A game of few chances, this one. Ultimately, it's been a bad weekend for Blackburn. They were one of only four teams in the top half not to win. They've now won just one of their last six. Their remaining games are all against sides in the top eight. Top eight, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> that is that, that nice. is mad. Uh, they've got a one-point cushion keeping them in the playoff spots. Are you regretting the £20 bet we had on them finishing in the top six, Justin? No, because it was a big middle finger to you and your opinion on Blackburn dropping off massively. I think the thing that's letting Blackburn down is their decision-making in the final third. I would I would be very... Com- I mean, I'd be asking for that money now if they had more decisive individuals in that team because there were so many good moments where their approach play was brilliant in this game against Hull but ultimately fluffed it when the moment really came to be clinical. Um, so no, I'm not I'm not regretting it. As I say, it was a big middle finger to you and your agenda. That's what it was. It's not an agenda <laughs> at all. So are you still thinking Blackburn will finish in the top six? The thing that worries me is games like this where they, they can't put the ball in the back of the net. They can't find good chances. That's what stresses me out a little bit with this Rovers team. They've got they've got it in them because their approach plays great sometimes. Their approach plays really good. There's some really good moments, as I said. But it's that final moment where they just don't have it. They just don't have it. They've lacked it all season. Might be catching up with them. That's the uh, that's the worry for me. So I am maybe a bit of a regret, maybe. I'm already I'm making lose space in my wallet for your twenty quid. <laughs> <laughs> their final games, they've got Coventry at home in midweek. Huge game. Preston away next weekend uh, Burnley oh god Luton and then Millwall that is such a horrible run in they have been completely done over by the fixture schedulers haven't they um, Sunderland came from a goal down to beat Birmingham 2-1 Sunderland managed to hold on here despite being down to 10 men for the final 12 minutes bit of a strange sending off actually Dennis Serkin got a yellow card for Tariff Chong essentially running into him I don't know what else he could have done there. I, I really don't know. A brilliant goal by Amad Diallo. Such an exciting player to watch, isn't he? I often forget he's only 20. 20 yeah. years old. And he scored 12 goals for the season now. Such a talent, though. He is absolutely electric. Defenders terrified of him when he's running at them. And, I mean, when, they are, when he is running at you, you don't know what to do. Because if you give him just the space to have a shot. There's a good chance he'll find the back of the net. Only five players have played more minutes than him and have a better shot conversion rate in the championship than mm-hmm. Amad Diallo this season. Tony Mowbray has told Sunderland fans to enjoy him while they can. I think that's wise advice because he'll be playing Premier League football next season. Still could be with Sunderland, of course, but it took a while for him to get going 
at the Stadium of Light and he's really carried Sunderland and at times with the lack of a natural number nine up top but he is some player he really is back-to-back wins for Sunderland and that means their playoff chances have strengthened quite significant, significantly very quickly they're only two points off the top six now when it was looking quite unlikely not too long ago. Uh, Justin, I wanted to bring something up, which I was amazed to see you say. Not the, not the first time I've wanted to bring something up <laughs> that you've uh, amazed me with this week. In the fallout of our ongoing debate whether Mark Robin should be running for manager of the year, you claimed Tony Mowbray is actually underachieved with Sunderland this season. Want to explain yourself? Yeah, I mean, the home form hasn't been great for most of the season. That's not down to Alex Neal, is it? It's down to Tony Mowbray. Maybe that's the, the young squad that he's got. I may have been a bit harsh saying he's underachieved, but I just think that home form has not it's not been good enough under him. I go to their home record. What they six sixteenth? They've won seven, drawn seven, lost seven, scored thirty, conceded thirty. They need to be a lot better, and maybe that's where the underachievement comes in. They are a decent away side, and the lack of striker has hindered them. The injuries that they've had has hindered them as well, and that's where maybe the harshness of the calling him an underachiever comes in a little bit. But I still think. They should be doing a little bit better, especially in that um, in that final third, getting more out of Joe Gellhart, for example. I do I do rate him as a manager. I do think he's one of the better coaches in this division, but the home record tells me could be doing better. That's Just what it's, nice. it's such a balmy thing to say. Sunderland are newly promoted. Newly promoted. <laughs> and they've had they've had worst injuries, the worst injury crisis out of every team in the championship this season. I've got no doubt about that. So to even put them in a category of underachieving is bonkers. I'm not putting them in an under in a, in a category of underachieving. I'm putting Tony Mowbray in a category of underachieving. And saying the that thing. they're a newly promoted team, Sunderland are a special case because they're a massive, massive club with a bigger budget than most newly promoted teams. So I can't put them in a category of, well, they've just come up from League One. This is a brilliant achievement. Sunderland finishing the top half is a good achievement, that being said. Um, but I just think the home record, if it was a lot better, they'd be a lot more convincing in that top six push. That's maybe where it comes in. Is that the only thing that you've got against them, that the home record's not good enough? Because it doesn't really matter, does it? They're on the edge of the bloody playoffs. I just, again, it's just it's just a, an opinion. That's all. We all have them. I've, yeah, I, I wouldn't put Mowbray in a top five, top six jobs that they've done. Uh, someone's done this season. I think anyone uh, pushing with the budget that they've got, you'd expect them to be at least mid-table. And he's, he's, he's delivering that. So I don't think he's overachieving... As I think their home record is one that lets them down. So where would you put him? Middle of the road. He's done. He's not done a remarkable job. He's not done a poor job. He's 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 done a fine job. He's done an okay job. An average. I won't say an average job. Probably a above average job. It's nothing more, nothing less. Next How's season, where we can... then? Because I, again, I think with the quality of player he's got, the quality of players that he's got, I know injuries, as I said, haven't helped. But the home record has been pretty poor very poor in fact they need to be doing a lot better at home especially with the fans that they've got that's the key thing here the home record's actually really poor compared to their away record if it was better they'd be a top 16 easy I could I could not disagree with you more on that one but we'll we'll move on because we are running out of time West Brom got their first win in five games by beating Stoke 2-1 West Brom came from a goal down here uh, chasing Malumbi got both of them and both goals were very similar they hit the bar <laughs> beforehand and then he was essentially under the bar and that ready there to took it home it was a uh, it was very interesting but some great limbs here from West Brom fans afterwards and where was the heart that we saw in this game for the last two games West Brom were pitiful over the Easter weekend but here just we hadn't seen this before and the big question is Justin are the playoffs back on for West Brom Albion now I think you've got Blackburn dropping points, Preston dropping points, Norwich dropping points. It will fuel that belief, which will maybe drive them forwards. Um, obviously, they wouldn't have been aware of the scores anyway. But as I say, the, the belief in, in, in those results coming in will certainly help. Um, I think that the manner in which they won as well, where they were a lot better in this game than they have been in the previous two games, but still can do a lot better. So that's that's the that's the other key thing as well. Um, Willumby getting on the score sheet is important. Carl and Grant coming on, I thought he changed the game for the for a positive is another big big benefit. It was committing defenders, asking questions of them. There are a lot of good things to come out of this from a West Brom perspective, despite it not being a brilliant performance. So. Yeah, that will give them confidence for that top six push. I do think it's still on because I made that WWE analogy 
earlier on in the episode and I think that's the case with the promotion battle as well or the playoff battle as well because they're just no no one's committing to it yet which is great for us because we've got a lot to talk about between now and the end of the season we need to switch your music out of nowhere don't we Ben Pearson was sent off for twice throwing the ball at Darnell Furlong here it was a Seemed very soft, although it may have been something that he said to the referee after that particular incident, but it was also quite funny. The bad news for West Brom is Daryl DK went off with an Achilles injury here. He was given oxygen as he went off the pitch, so we'll have to wait and see to see how serious that is, but it doesn't look good. Two of the form teams in the Championship met at the Swansea.com Stadium. A Ryan Manning goal saw Swansea beat Huddersfield 1-0. Just quickly, Justin, Ryan Manning, what a season he's had. He has been fantastic, and... It's. I mean, he's he's always been a consistent wing back at this level. He's always been relatively decent, but this has been one of those seasons where he's he's. I mean, he's been Swansea's most consistent player over the maybe Matt Grimes, um, and the stats that he's delivered is yeah, he's been fantastic. He's been one of the standout left wing backs, and left wing backs always a hard position to um, to call when we when we put together our team of the season. But left wing back berth is is very very crowded this season. Manning's certainly put himself in one of those. Yeah, he's he's one of the top performers. Is is what I'm trying to get at, and he's yeah, he's been fantastic, and he scored some important goals as well, some good goals as well this season. Yeah, and it's a big setback for Huddersfield in their quest to get to Survival Island, still only just a point <laughs> above the bottom three. And finally, Chris Wilder got just his second win as Watford boss by beating Bristol City two nil. There was a subplot to this game about the this being the story of two goalkeepers. Daniel Backman had to make some good saves in the Watford goal while Max O'Leary didn't cover himself in glory for João Pedro's goal. It's gone through his legs. It may have taken a deflection, but there wasn't an obvious one from what I saw. Miraculously, despite being rubbish now for months, Watford are still just four points off the top six, so they can still say that they fancy their chances, although there's a lot of traffic between them and the top six. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and Vincent Company is being linked with the Spurs job again. The Sun is reporting that Daniel Levy has made him the number one choice and has apparently been blown away by the Burnley boss. Speaking about the links, Company said, wherever I am in my head, it is always the biggest job in the world. We are clear at the top of the championship. A key part is I'm always happy, never satisfied. Uh, Justin, we've said it before, Vincent Company going to Spurs. I don't think it's a clever idea. No, it isn't. It'd be a terrible decision from Vincent Company. He needs to, I know it's a very cliche thing to say, but he needs to cut his cloth with Burnley. He needs to struggle. He needs to learn his trade. He needs to make tactical decisions where, you know, his team's not going to be on top, for example. Burnley have been very fortunate this season. Well, actually not, not fortunate. It's quite a harsh way of saying it, but or, or phrasing it. They've been relentless. They've been brilliant, but they've not had much competition in the way of teams around them. It has been one of those seasons where teams haven't been consistent therefore they've not really had a significant challenge they have been fantastic they have been brilliant but like I was saying company needs to go through the motions he needs to lose three games on the bounce he needs to bounce back from that run of games going to Spurs I think without having that experience and going through that experience as a coach would be a disaster for him because it just uh, well it could be catastrophic Frank Lampard did it and he's still a terrible manager I don't want Vincent Company to to fall into that category because he's he's a very good coach. So I want him to learn. I want him to do his apprentice, not his apprenticeship, but I want him to carry on with Burnley, the, the good groundwork that he's laid uh, with the Clarets. For those who are playing second tier bingo, you can now cross off Justin Peets yep. slagging off Frank Lampard from the show. Um, Vincent Company for me, will be an elite manager at some point, but this is too soon for him. One full season in English football is too soon for a manager to be going to a top elite European side. It just wouldn't make any sense for me. And it's a great way to really, you know, destroy your career before it's really got started. If I was him, I'd be looking at sticking with Burnley for at least the next two seasons, take them into the Premier League next season. I couldn't see them finishing in the top half if they continue the progress they've made this season with, you know, his brilliant tutelage and the good, the right recruitment that's help he can help with identifying players from abroad then Burnley can do some magical things next season and that's all pending on him staying at the club 
his stock could be huge in a couple of seasons time if it goes to Spurs it could be rock bottom by Christmas time so it wouldn't be a good move for me I don't know why anyone would want to take the Spurs job right now anyway because it seems like it's a death trap waiting to happen uh, (laughs) as we've seen with the past few managers so Vincent Company stay at Burnley do the right thing for everyone involved Swansea head coach Russell Martin is hopeful the club will see further investment to follow an equity injection of more than a million pounds. Martin believes fresh funding can increase the championship club's financial impact. Um, There's loads of other bits and pieces from this, but it's all very boring. And Swansea need more money, don't they, Justin? They need more investment to sign more players because that's been the big issue with them this season. They haven't been able to strengthen. And we'll leave that there because that's pretty much all the news from the past few days, really. Justin, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter. Just want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Who will win the playoffs? Luton, Middlesbrough, Millwall or somebody else? I edge towards Luton because they're one of the better defensive teams. Kept a lot of clean sheets as well. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll edge with Luton on that one, but it'll be a good playoffs this year. I know it's easy to say that, but it's looking tasty, tactically I tasty. think it's going to be between Luton and Middlesbrough between, for actually mm. goes up. And I'm edging more towards Luton because I tend to think the defensive sides fare better in the playoffs. Middlesbrough got 51% of the vote, 24% to Luton, 18% somebody else, 7% Millwall. Should Mark Robbins have been on the three-man shortlist for manager of the season, yes or no? Piss off. Yes, of course he should have been. Of course he is. He 62% is. of people said no, 38% oh my said God. yes. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> Justin, you've got to remember, not all Coventry fans are backing you, uh, or... No, that I hope they sense. are. Coventry fans <laughs> are mocking you, but not the rest of the championship believes that. So uh, we'll leave that there. Um, and finally, what's the best Pixar movie? Not including Toy Story, because that seemed like it was just going to run away with it. Finding Nemo, Monsters Inc., The Incredibles, and Up. I thought, I mean, we had a brief discussion about this. I thought you were going to put in Coco, because I'd, I'd, I'd vote Coco. Coco's so. a great film, but I'm not sure it would have got much of a vote. Maybe not. To be but honest. it makes almost makes me cry, and I've, I've known grown men cry at that film as well. Big Jim going men cry that film. Um, I'd go Monsters Inc. I I'd go up. I think Up's a beautiful film. Thirty-seven percent of people said Monsters Inc. Twenty-five percent said Finding Nemo. Nineteen percent said The Incredibles. Nineteen percent said Up. And now it's time for Lee Camp's Championship Tennis. It's the new game which is sweeping the nation. Uh, we. I'll, I'll keep it quite well the game's quite simple really I'm going to say a championship player past or present Justin then has to respond with a player whose first name starts with the same letter of the surname of the player I just said so for example I say Chubrakpom he says Alex Scott and we keep going until somebody takes too long about five seconds or someone says a player who hasn't played in the championship or someone says a player who's already been said if we think a player has been said who hasn't played in the championship or has already been said the other player can challenge it however if that player is wrong they lose and when I say playing the championship I mean since it was rebranded in 2004 we gave it a go last week for the first time ever so I thought let's do it again Justin um shall we do let's do first to three on this one and Mm -hmm. I'll serve first Justin if that's all right with you Uh, well uh, yeah just okay I was going to say no so yeah just serve yeah fair enough I'll go with Peter Whittingham Peter Whittingham Wayne Rooney um Rory Delap Dennis Serkin Charlie Austin Alex Scott Sammy Schmodix Oh, double S. Sam Parkin. Paul Furlong. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> no, you, 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 Paul Furlong's fine. Uh, Frank Lampard came into my head. Screw you, Frank. That's done me. <laughs> I think that's it, yeah. That means it's one to me. What's, what's it called in tennis? 15 love. 15. 15 love, there you go. Should really know that. Uh, one nil to me. Justin, you can serve now. Uh, Chris Willock. Will Smallbone. <laughs> you've you've lost your head. You've truly lost your head. That was so right. easy. I was going to say Sandro, the Brazilian midfielder. 
but that's a, that's a bit of a loop, not a loophole, but Uncharted Territory in this very new game. Because mm. he's got yeah. one, he's got one name. So it's like, no, that, oh, I can't say him. That is a fair point. That is a that is a fault in the game that mm. I hadn't even considered. But um, yeah, once you get a player stuck in your head, it's difficult to shift them into. It's impossible. Um, yeah. Two 0 to me. Just want to point out, we've now played five games of this, and Justin still hasn't won <laughs> one round yet. Yeah, it's my ability um, to think under pressure isn't ideal. Oh, go I on, you can, you can go again, Justin. I'll go again. I'll go with uh, Craig Forsyth. Freddie Sears. Those bloody S's. Um... <laughs> Sandro. <laughs> You've, you've completely lost your head. It's <laughs> such an appalling showing. I'm not sure if you can do this game again because you're just so bad at it. I, I will get better. But I had the same issue as W's last week and then someone then listed a load of players big names beginning with W in the comments when we released the episode and it's going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, maybe we won't. I'm not sure if we'll play this game again, ladies and gentlemen, or maybe we will just see if just it ever gets a point in this game. But Incredible. there we go, 3-0 to me this week, 3-0 to me last week. It's all going very well for me on the Camps Championship Tennis. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you for listening. We had a lot to get through this week because, as I said at the start of the episode, every game virtually had something on the line. So hopefully we've covered them all in great or good enough depth. Um, but yeah, we'll be back again on Thursday as we've got midweek games coming up ladies and gentlemen and we are very much in the business end of the season now aren't we three games remaining for most teams in the division so it's a big big round well three games after the midweek games I should point out um yeah I'm getting my words mixed up now but here we are second tier podcast we'll be back again on Thursday I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach and a big thank you for listening (laughs) 